Thank you for joining us for another edition of Bearded Bros Podcast. Tonight's edition is a very special episode of the Bearded Bros Podcast. While we'll be discussing some of our normal topics like beer and music, we also have a very in-depth conversation about racial injustice in our country and what we intend to do to end systematic racism in this country. While the conversation may be uncomfortable at times for some individuals, we encourage you to listen and get uncomfortable because it's not the time to be comfortable. It's time to be active, be aware, listen, and again, get uncomfortable. We hope you enjoy tonight's podcast. And as always, Cheers. And welcome to another edition of Bearded Bros Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my bearded bros, Stephen and Charles. Stephen, Charles, hate Nazis and racist? I hate them both. One of the I same, hate them. hate them all. I hate them. You know, maybe they'll come around. I, sh- I guess I should talk to them, but I do not like them. I think the chances of them coming around are slim to none, but we can hope nonetheless. Both of them can fuck right off. And if you're listening to our podcast and you're a racist or a Nazi... Fuck off. We but don't want tell you your here. kids to listen to our podcasts. Yes, please. Yeah. All right, guys. So let's go ahead and jump into our first segment of the week, which is, of course, what beer are we drinking? Charles, why don't we start off with you this week? What beer are you drinking this week? All right. I might get a little hate for this, but uh, I have a Sam Adams. So it's called Sam Adams 76 or Sam 76. It's a lager. You know, you can't really define a lot of their stuff. So... I'm going to say it's it's a pretty hoppy lager. It's delicious. It's drinkable. It's super hoppy. Um, I'm a big fan of Sam Adams. I think sometimes their stuff's a little on the multi end of the spectrum. Um, but, I mean, if it wasn't for Sam Adams, we wouldn't be enjoying all these great craft beers. That's my opinion. So, really digging this. You know, in- interesting thing about Sam Adams. I think yes. he was one of the only famous political people at the time that like came out really early in favor of the Boston Tea Party after it happened because a lot a of riot. people were afraid to talk about it. Yeah, would you yeah. would you say that was kind of like a riot and destruction? Yeah, hundred percent was a riot. They're destroying property. Yeah, hundred percent. That's very interesting how we talk about yeah. that. Like it's a it's a really momentous occasion in American history. Wow. Yeah. Oh, but wait, maybe it was because it was years of suffering by the colonists that they were forced to go act out this way. Yeah, but Keith, couldn't oh, they wait, do the but same it's been thing? years. But Keith, couldn't you have a Boston Tea Party without actually destroying any tea? I mean, like, I just guess have a tea you party. Could. Yeah. Maybe if everybody had just taken a Charles knee is, on the banks. Charles's pinky is up in the air. All right. I, I did I already like veer us down a path that we're obviously going to go to no. on this podcast. 
quite okay, quite good. possibly. I okay. wh- while we're on beer, I, I just want to point out. I thought this was an interesting note about Sam Adams, and I'm not saying this is a negative or a positive. But Tim Cope, who runs Sam Adams, has created this. I don't know how to, if it's a law or what, but essentially, if you were a craft beer, a craft beer, it means that you produce the same amount or less than Sam Adams does because Sam Adams is the cusp of craft beer and they've put it into place that however much Sam Adams makes, it's still considered a craft beer. Yeah, that's a little weird, but uh, you know, he also has like a repository of hops. Because, you know, craft beers use so much of it and they can be in, in short supply. So he has like a supply that he like buys up and then distributes to craft brewers, which I think is pretty cool. So it also, sounds like this this guy has a lot of power and so far is using it for good. But I wonder like what happens when he retires and the next person comes in that gets to decide who's a craft brewer and who doesn't. Maybe they don't want to share those things. Maybe that's why we need like institutions and rules that are, are governed by more than what one person wants. I agree. I completely agree, Stephen. You know who else is soon to have a repository of hops? Keith Dyer. Oh, Lord. Keith Dyer is about to have a repository of hops. How's your garden, Keith? We, we'll get into that because I do want to talk about that here in a little bit. But let, let's go ahead and move on. Stephen, what are you drinking? So I have a, I, I changed my mind. So I was asking these guys what I should review and I had four different beers and none of them really are very exciting to me. I don't know how I accumulated these funky beers. And the one I had, I couldn't do. So I, I switched to the Funky Gold Mosaic Prairie. It's from Prairie Artisan Ales, which I do like this brewery. I think they're... I don't know. Where's Prairie? Are they like in Arkansas or Kansas or something? On on the Prairie, I'm guessing. But I picked this one because it sounds kind of good. It's a dry hopped sour. It's also a uh, funky gold mosaic, which I really like the art on the cover. And you know what? Like I like mosaic style art. It's like taking a whole bunch of different types of things and putting them all together. And like, you can still see each one and they still are unique, but you know, a bunch of different diverse things coming together. I would argue is a good thing. And sometimes the combination makes, makes it better, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and Steven, just, Mm -hmm. just to answer your question from earlier, Prairie Arts is based out of Oklahoma city. All right. Nice. Thank you, Keith. I don't, I don't ever do my homework. I just think of ways to derail the podcast. So I'm waiting for the head on this beer to go down because it's half the glass right now, but I'm getting ready to take a sip. Aroma. It smells good. It has like, you know, the sour kind of taste smell that, doesn't smell sour, but it smells very kind of lemony, you know, kind of like, yep. you know, kind of yep. tart. I just got a whole mouthful of foam and it was delicious foam. Yeah. Tastes like a sour. I'm not really getting a whole a lot of dry hop, but it's uh tastes like a good sour beer. I like it. I'm a happy camper. Mosaic. Way to go. You know, in, in old OKC, you know, just going to that brewery is probably just fills so many people with happiness, you know, so. Probably right. All right. So what I have is any home brewer that listens to our podcast is probably familiar or at least heard of the idea of this beer. And the idea of this beer came out during COVID and it was a way to prove that we're all in this together. And it was just released last Friday from Jackalope. They did their version of it and is called Pangea Proxima IPA. And I'm just going to read 
what it says here. Pangea Proxima IPA was brewed to demonstrate the harmony that can be created by joining ingredients from across the globe, which again can lead us into our conversation later. Um, so what they did is they created a recipe and homebrewers across the world made the same recipe at the same time on the same day. And I thought that was a really cool idea. Like go out, brew some beer. Everybody's kind of in this together. And some breweries did it uh, just to kind of go in, to, uh, like to help out with it. And it says right here, a portion of the proceeds from Pangea Proxima will go to the Believe in Beer Fund to help support craft breweries around the country. We're all in this together. So portions of this are going to go to other breweries in Nashville and throughout the country to help, you know, everybody's having a hard time right now. So maybe this will help somebody stay open. I'm, I like that idea. So wait, so, so wait, the can's really small because the portion's going to those different places. Yeah. I mean, it's only a 16 ounce can. <laughs> I was hoping to be 32 ounce, but okay. Charles, that was the, the best dad joke ever. I think you meant like, is some of the beer literally going to other places, Keith? Like, I think you missed it. I, I think I did. Okay. And I'm okay with that one. <laughs> Charles, that's a good one. I like it. Thanks. So while you guys are talking, I've went ahead and poured this in here. And let's see. That's why we were talking, Keith. We knew it would take forever. So I know. I appreciate you guys. Usually I have to edit out like a solid five minutes while we're doing this. That's delicious. It just tastes, it tastes like a traditional IPA. And what I mean by that is, do you guys remember what IPAs tasted like 10 years ago when you could only get like five or six of them at the store and they all kind of tasted similar to each other? Are you saying you want to make IPAs great again? Yeah. Yeah. Let's make IPAs great again. Something actually needs to be great again. What I remember about them was they would like kind of kick you in the balls. Like they were, man, they they were confrontational. Yeah. You remember those like Keystone commercials with the bitter beer face? But it was like. (laughs) You got that like, like with a, with, with like, hell yeah. Like that was delicious. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. And I, I'm not going to lie. Like sometimes the bitterness in an IPA is a little too much. Like it can definitely overdone, but when it's done right, man, it's amazing. For me, like sometimes it's too much, but like the burp, if the burp yeah. is good, then mm-hmm. you know, it's a good IPA. So I will tell you after the second step or sip, it's a little juicier than what I remember the older IPAs being. But I mean, it's just a basic, really good IPA. Keith, you'll be happy to know that Barrow now has a hazy IPA. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, Which, boy. I'm not, I'm not super excited about the fact that it's a hazy IPA, but I will say that I tried it today and it doesn't taste like hazy IPAs I've had from a lot of other places that are just like not really IPAs at all. It, right. It's like a good, juicy IPA that's also also hazy. It's less it's less over the top bitter and like kind of generic bitter than than their other IPA, the Catfish. So it's good. I'm really hoping that sometime in the next month, like this is a fingers crossed kind of thing, we can maybe swing out there for a long weekend. I think you should. So or we should we're, meet in we're, Arkansas. We were looking at cabins and stuff in the woods for the Arkadelphia looks pretty cool. Yeah. Have you guys looked at Arkadelphia? Uh, I know of uh, Hot Springs is the halfway point. And, no, and Hot Arkadelphia Springs is where is. we saw a bunch of cabins. Oh, okay. So, and they were cheap. They were cheap. Yeah, they, I yeah. bet they were. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz I was looking up in the Ozarks. I, I can't remember the town, but like maybe an hour southeast of uh Fayetteville in the mountains and those were not cheap. I just 
you guys should make sure that there's no meat packing plants nearby. Or those that bar where they packed all the people into the pool like meat so they could all pee on each other and cough in yep. each other's faces. Yeah. Remember in the news? You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah that, I mean, that just okay. sounds like an average Saturday night in Arkansas. So. Or the Ozarks, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. So if you've listened to our podcast before, you know at this point we usually go into – Uh, coping with covid and then we move to music entertainment and our esoteric topic this week we're going to do things just a little bit different because the climate of things in our country is a little bit different so we felt our podcast should be a little bit different so we're going to go ahead and jump into our esoteric topic however if you want to hear our music recommendations of the week followed by what beer we drink during the podcast hang on we'll do those as soon as we're done with our esoteric topic And this one will probably go for a little while. Um, I'm pretty sure we're all pretty angry about what's going on right now. And we all have opinions. And so listen to us, listen to your brothers and sisters, and more importantly, listen to the black community because they're the ones who need to be heard right now. So our esoteric topic this week is going to be discussing systematic racism, uh, what's currently going on with police brutality, and this will probably go down half a dozen roads while we're discussing it. So um, I know I made a statement through the Bearded Bros podcast earlier this week, and so I've kind of made my feelings known. Uh, Stephen, why, why don't you kick us off on this? Hey, before we start, I think it should be pointed out that we are three white guys, that we come from a position of privilege, and we might be, our view might be obscure, obscured from some of the, the issues from a certain point of view. I think it's important Absolutely. that Absolutely. So. Yeah. Absolutely. And Charles is 100% correct. We are three white people. We recognize the fact that we, we, we have privilege. And, you know, some of the things that we say is not based on, you know, actual knowledge because we don't know what it's like to walk in the footsteps of a black person or any people of color. And so we have our opinions and obviously we, we are definitely on the side of the black community. But if we say something that might not strike a chord with somebody, something that might upset somebody, please understand that we we're, we're three white dudes that don't really know what it's like to be a black man or woman in this country, but we want to do whatever we can to help. Say something to us. We're, we're open to dialogue. We want to learn. We want to be better. So, so right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop you guys. Cause we're, we're being a little, so I find this a little, I don't know. Funny is not the right word. Like we are three white dudes. We do come from a like place of privilege. We do not know what it's like to be systematically like underprivileged. Like let's name that. Right. But I find it interesting. And this is not a criticism of y'all. This is me. This is, this is all of us that fall into that category. I think for way, 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 way too long, we felt like racism is something that like, I don't know, like we can't talk about, well, either, either like some, some white dudes think they know everything about it. They have very strong opinions, but most people that I think fall into the category of, you know, trying to understand feel like, like they're already apologizing. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be apologizing, but it causes us to not engage fully in the conversation and like almost be like, put our hands up a little bit. I'm not racist. I support you. 
but I don't know what to do. That kind of thing. No, you know what I mean? I, so I just want to put that disclosure out there so that we can speak our mind here and know that like, we really don't know what we're talking about and we're not trying to hijack anybody's, well, but, you know, but we do know what we are talking about from our perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Right? That's true. And I just want to make sure. One, and, I, and I think if, if we don't acknowledge that and we don't act on what we do know, we're putting the burden of action and education for us on the people that are already dealing with the burdens of the system and the problems, right? Like we, we can't rely on, we shouldn't expect black people to tell us how to help or to explain what racism is to us. They have enough to do already. They have to deal with it on their, they have to deal with it. They, it's not their burden to educate us. We can look around and see what's going on. Hang on. Sorry. I didn't mean to scold you guys, but no, I'm, I found I'm saying very we, interesting. I find it interesting the level of apology that goes into wanting to engage in an authentic way. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're, like I don't think any of us, like, I think the three of us would do whatever we can do to help fix the problem. And Absolutely. we're already apologizing, like apologizing and saying racism is bad hasn't worked. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no. We have to, we, we have to do more than that. White people have to do more than just say we don't understand and try to, and I'm not criticizing you guys. And I feel like I know that's what it feels like. Right no, now. I, no, we, I we need to have these, that, that happened in the intro. We have to have these, these conversations. And so mm -hmm. I know from personal experience, from stuff I've already tried to do that you can have good intentions and be completely mm -hmm. wrong. And you can be corrected by the black community. And we need to acknowledge that we're not going to get this right. And that this is not really our fight. We are here to support. It is, but no, but I, that's what I disagree with. It is our fight. No, it it's is not. our fight. I agree no, with Stephen on this. I, 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 I disagree 100%. This is, this is the black person's fight. We are here to be advocates and to help out. But you don't know what they're fighting for. I, you have no I, idea I know, what they're fighting I will for. Always I, I agree with that. I'm not, I'm not disputing the fact that we don't know what it's like. But that doesn't mean it's not our fight or our problem, or we can't engage fully. No, I, Charles, I, I'm saying I we should always... engage, but but this is this is not our fight. We can we Charles, cannot. I... You cannot take over somebody else's fight. You can help and you can support, but you can't Charles, hijack no, their fight. Charles, Charles, you don't Charles, know whoa, whoa, whoa. what they're going through. No, Charles, Charles, we haven't even started the conversation yet. We, I know. No one's saying we're taking over their fight. This is this. These are our communities. Just like, right. We're, we're in this together. It doesn't mean I'm not, I'm not about to say like, let's go in and organize the black communities for them. That's not a, at all. If, if you're assuming I'm going to say that that's, that's incorrect. We need to stop being afraid as white males that have strong opinions about racism. And I would say like, we need to become anti-racist. It's no longer safe for our society for us to just be not racist. We have to become anti-racist. And that means engaging fully, not being afraid of saying things because we're going to offend somebody or say something wrong. It, that might happen, but if we come at it from the right place with the intention of being anti-racist, we are going to help. So okay, the fact that the three of us are already arguing and we no, haven't no, even no, started the conversation. No, this yet, is, an, this is important. We have, we have to hash this stuff out. We have to have discussions and it has to get messy. Right. And I acknowledge that there's going to be some messiness. My opinion on this though, is that coming from a position of white privilege, sometimes we take over and we think we can, we know what's right. And, we and do not know not what's do, right. Charles, right. I just so, said, we're not, I said, not okay, to do that. I, all right. Yeah. So I am saying that it is important that we realize that we are advocates and we are helping, but this is not, we're not in charge here. 
I never no, said we I don't think I don't think okay. anybody Charles. thinks we're in charge. Charles. But I will say that this is all of our fight because I will always, always fight for the underdog. And the fact that the black community makes up 20% of our population and they are so disproportionately murdered. And let, let's not make any qualms about it. They are murdered by police officers at a much more disproportionate rate than white people. Like that makes it our fight as a community. Okay. As long as you are an, as long as you don't believe in racism, you're not a Nazi, like you know that this is not okay. And therefore you are going to stand yeah. beside the black community and fight against this. Well, and I'm, I'm not just, saying, I, like, I'm agree with Steven. Like we're not, I haven't even said anything fight. yet. I just kind of <laughs> commented on y'all's <laughs> like Keith. No, no, Charles, let me talk. Keith said, Steven, let you talk. let's hear what you have to say. And I made comments about the fact that both of you guys were like apologizing about having the conversation. That's all I was commenting on. And I still haven't really said anything and we're arguing. Which I think is very interesting. Well, we need we need to argue. We need to hash right, out these things. We need you're, clarity. But so, you're 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 not letting anyone like you know. I'm not I'm I'm, I'm not letting you talk. I'm let I'm letting you talk. So okay, I'm done. I, I haven't said Go anything ahead. yet. I just I made a comment about the fact that we were apologizing from the beginning. I That's was not apologizing. I was stating my point of view. I was saying where I'm coming from, and I was giving a full disclaimer so that when I say things that might be out of place, people know where I'm coming from. But I have a good heart. I don't think that was I think I was I think I was the more apologetic one because I just don't want to say anything that is going to hurt the cause. Like I I don't want to, in case I do say something that goes against what could be what we're fighting for. I don't want somebody to be upset that I said that when we're just trying to hash out what we need to do is three privileged white people talking about race. All right. So I guess I would kick us off by we've talked about culture in the past, right? And yes. I think, I think there is, there is a aspect of white culture that is extremely problematic. And this is just my opinion, right? So you guys are welcome to disagree, but I would argue that the average white person is more concerned with having someone perceive them as being racist than the actual problem of racism. I completely concur. So rather than confronting people that they think are racist, they don't engage in the conversation or, and maybe I'm being harsh on both of you for the way that you guys kind of opened up. Cause I almost felt like that's kind of what I was picking up on a little bit. It's like, we're about to talk about race. We're all very uncomfortable talking about race because we have this idea that it's something that, you know, if you, if you start walking down that path and you step off, step off it in the wrong way, it's going to be very problematic for you, right? And I think that needs to stop. So Charles is shaking his head and I'm not, Charles, I'm not criticizing you, right? But when you say that it's not our fight, the problems we have in our society are all of our fights. So I agree that we don't take over someone else's trials and tribulations. I agree that we can't understand them fully. But what we can understand is our own experiences and our own lives, the conversations we have with the people in our white community, right? We are not in a place in this country where my community is very diverse, right? I'm, I'm a pretty liberal person who likes to think of themselves as very welcoming to other races, but I'm not going to lie. I, I don't, I don't like, I mean, I work with a lot of black people, but I don't have a lot of like black people in my social circles, in my immediate family. 
right? So I can like, you know, name my cousin who's black, but like, then I'm just doing what white people have done forever and using association with a black person as a sign that I'm not racist. And all I'm trying to, it has nothing to do with my life. It's just me trying to show that I'm not racist, which is what we're way too concerned with. And I think we need to have more conversations where we're more honest. If we don't understand something, we don't go and ask black people to explain it to us because it's not their burden. We need to understand it in the context of our lives. And at the end of the day, race is a thing that whether it's a social construct or not, like the different cultures that have come out of the fact that we have that construct is reality. We need to respect each other, respect each other, respect each other's cultures. And white males need to be able to talk about race in a very authentic way. And that's the only way that we can become anti-racist. If we can't talk about it, I can't call out, you know, that person in my life who I have heard use the N-word, right? And I'm more worried about somebody overhearing it than I am about the fact that they just used it. And I mean, I don't think I'm the only white person that's been in that position in my life where, you know, as long I know that person's racist, but as long as they don't act like that, I'm going to let it slide. Like, I don't I don't know how to deal with that, but that's something that I think we all have to start dealing with very in a very real way if we want this problem to actually go away. So, Stephen, one of the things you mentioned is, you know, don't go ask a black man what we can do. I disagree wholeheartedly. Black people are tired of that. Like I've had, I mean, this, I've had many conversations over the past week with, with colleagues that have, have been specifically saying that it is, it is exhausting to explain to white people what it's like to experience racism or how they can help. Racism is traumatic. And if we ask them to explain it to us again and again, really, do we not like know that it's bad? Like what, like. I'm not saying we can't learn from talking to black people. That is the last thing that I'm saying, but it is not their burden to educate us on the things that our culture has done and is doing to them. It is our burden to start fighting against it. And I guess guess I misunderstood what we know. I I think I misunderstood what you were saying, but I do completely agree with you on that. Because it's also an easy excuse. Like if, if I don't have a black person that I can have explain to me what to do, I guess I can't do anything. And that's flat out freaking wrong. Yeah. I guess I was just hearing like, don't have a conversation with a black man. No, 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 no. Right. (laughs) And again, let's not jump to conclusion. Like let's all put it out there. There is absolutely, I know with the certainty of every ounce of my soul and bone in my body that neither of you two are racist at all. Right. Do we all have biases? Absolutely. And you know, and that's that's a fact of humanity. And we and the only way to get past those is to acknowledge them. And you will never make them go away. But the more you know about them, the better you can control them. Right. So we all have biases. We all do. But right. I don't think either one of you are racist. So I'm not trying to criticize either one of you. But like the, we ha- we have to start talking about it from the position that we're in. And and it's 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 almost an excuse to say that it's not our it's not our. Like and Charles, I'm not I'm not trying to pick on you because I, I know I already made you it's mad. It's not my intention. Yeah. But it's not you're not making me mad. I'm just gonna we, be passionate about my argument. So But we have to do we have to do what we can do from our positions and I, from our experiences. And that is our fight. I agree hundred percent. Now, what I was trying to say is we are about to talk about these things. 
And I, I'm not asking people what I should say and things like that, but I have been corrected because I have been wrong about something, something very well-meaning and things like that. And that just from our very position, we are going to get it wrong. And I, my experience with in, in dialogue with people who are fighting the good fight that are black, I haven't asked for their advice. They've given it to me. They've told me where I've misstepped. And, and I think that's the point I'm trying to make is that we are going to screw some things up here. And one of the things that I think a lot of black activists don't want is a white person stepping in and taking over thinking they know better. I agree. And, and, I agree and I'm not saying we're going to do that, but you know, some of the things we say might look that way. And I just want, I just want full disclosure before we discuss these things. We're about to talk about it very sincerely. And I honestly think like, while a lot of people listening to this might right now think that this is kind of messy, this is the work that needs to be done. We need to have these hard conversations. Mm -hmm. We need to try to hash these things out and come to some understanding. And it's, it's never pretty. It's not, these are not fun discussions to have. And sometimes you're going to say something and you don't really know how to back it up and things like that. And you're going to learn or you're going to find out more. And that's what we got to do. Like we, we need to speak up. Mm -hmm. It's going to be messy. It's going to be dirty. You're going to misstep. You're going to say some things that sound really stupid to people who have been going through this for a long time, but you still need to say it and learn from it. I think that's the point think, I'm trying to make. Yeah. Okay. And, that makes and sense. I think, I think at the end of the day, none of us want to be on the wrong side of history. That That's what it really comes down to. We don't want to be on the wrong side of history. We want to support what needs to be supported and we're not going to be a Nazi we're not going to be a racist. And in a hundred years, when they study this time in a history book, we're not going to be the assholes who are lynching people. We're also not going to I, tolerate I that. that. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm tired of, of lying. Like we're, we're living, I, I would argue we've been living a lie for the past, I don't know how many years where, and Charles, we were talking about this today where it's like Obama became president. We're like, sweet. We're not racist anymore. You know, like we've elected a black man as president. And like, we thought maybe that showed something and it didn't yeah. like nope. racist. Th like it is just, it is still just as rampant as it has been. It's just, we, we white people just hide it. They hide it more. And people might listening might be saying, wait a minute, like white people aren't the only people that are racist and they might be right. Right. But white people are the people that largely are in power in this country. So like, you know, it's hard, it's hard to, uh, to be oppressed by the people that aren't in power. Right. So, so let's just be honest with that. So one thing that, that I found interesting, and I'm going to, I'm going to share my screen with you guys and the, the, our two listeners can't actually hear this, but um, I'll talk you through it. <laughs> so I, I found this very interesting and somebody, somebody shared this with me today. And by the way, I mean, I've talked about this before. Like I work at a very diverse organization and I, I was extremely upset today because we had a conversation where our CEO led us through kind of a, a bit of a bit of a talk about like, you know, our organization's response to what's going on. Our, our CEO is, is a black man who I don't know how you could be more successful in this country as a black man. He's an astronaut. He's a medical doctor. He's the CEO of multiple organizations. He started his own businesses. He's, he's an amazing human being. And he talked about how when he was a kid, and got his driver's license, his stepfather, who was a police officer, black police officer, ironically in Temple, Texas, which is right next door to us, um, had a conversation with him and his brother and explained to them what they need to do if they're ever pulled over, because the police will not treat them the same way that 
they're going to treat other like white kids and they need to do certain things to avoid sending any sort of perception of violence to those police or give them an excuse. Then he started talking about how today as, you know, an older man who's extremely successful. And again, he's talking from his house in Martha's Vineyard that, and I'll get into this in a second, but having those same conversations with his children and having to have them again with such little change. So you have this man who's done everything that you can possibly think of in society to be a benefit. And he's still having to have these conversations X number of years later. It was, it was, it was, I mean, it's horrifying to think about. So this pyramid um, came up. So, and we can post this in the show notes, but there's a difference between what we think of as racism and what is socially acceptable racism today. So when we think of racism, you have, you can think about it like a pyramid and the tip of that pyramid is your overt, like, unacceptable racism. And I'm, I'm coming at this from white society. So talking about wearing a, a clan hood, we would all agree that's wrong. Burning crosses, using the N word. A lot of people use it, but still like we would all agree that's wrong. And that's why we would shush them if they start using it. Hate crimes, swastikas, lynching, racist jokes, being a Nazi, right? But there's this whole bottom of the pyramid that is below the, maybe it's, maybe an iceberg is a better example where it's all this covert white supremacy, socially acceptable behavior that reinforces racism. You can think about it as like dog whistles to other racists, but you can also just think about it as things that we accept in our society. So things like hiring discrimination, police killing people of color, racial profiling. Like these are things that we rationalize as acceptable every day, but they go into this culture and, and psychology and cycle of racism. Um, denying that white privilege is actually a thing, denying racism even exists, blaming victims, you know, saying we're just one human family or all lives matter, matter, saying it's just a joke. Like all of these things are racist. And it's easy to say, oh, we're just being PC culture police or something like that. But that allows people, and when I say people, I mean white people in our, in our society to just persist with their racism without us confronting them. And I'm saying us, meaning us white males and white people, right? We, we have gone on too long with as long as your racism is not public or as long as I don't hear it, it's okay and I'm going to ignore it because maybe your kids will be less racist. That is not working. That philosophy has got us to a point where we have a generation of black men teaching their kids the exact same thing when they get their driver's license that they learned when they were 16 in the 60s. And that's why we have riots today, just like we had in the 60s. We need to be vocal. We need to come at it unapologetically. We need to not be afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing. We need to not be racist. We need to be anti-racist. That's my say. Well done, Stephen. I'm going to jump in with a couple of things. First of all, I want to say to both of you guys, Y'all guys have been posting a lot on Facebook. And I hate posting on Facebook. I do not post on Facebook. And you're right, I have been. And and it makes me really, really happy to see that. Because I I know y'all saw where my buddy Marshall and I were talking. And he's like, don't let people be racist. You know, be outspoken. Those kind of things. And I don't know if that had any effect on you guys on posting stuff, but it certainly did on me because I've been posting more often, but like 
it made me it, it made my heart happy to see you guys who never post shit on Facebook posting things and like Steven, you 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 wrote a beautiful piece on Facebook and it was shared a lot. <laughs> and so I, I'm just really happy to see that. But over the past week, I've really been kind of digging in to see what Black America is saying. And one of the things that really like stuck to me, and it, it could be that I just really respect this individual. It could be a number of different things. But this one line that he wrote, and it was Neil deGrasse Tyson, who was talking about being Black and being with other Black physicists, discussing all the times that they were pulled over just for being Black. And he was talking about Colin Kaepernick. And this one line just stuck with me. And it made me like, it almost made me shudder when I read it. And everybody knows that Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the Star Spangled Banner in protest of what was happening to Black lives throughout the country. Police brutality, racism, all of those things. And the line was simple. He said, so we went from a peaceful knee on the ground to a fatal knee on the neck. That one sentence is a powerful statement. We Here we are, and I, none of us have, I, I'm pretty sure all of us have talked about Colin Kaepernick, and we respect Colin Kaepernick, and somebody who was in the military, I am definitely a fan of Colin Kaepernick and what he did. But so many people blasted Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee during the national anthem to protest exactly what has fucking happened right now. And it has led to what has happened right now by blowing him off and treating him like he is the bane of existence of America for making a statement. And now so many people are going, we should have listened. Or they're still saying, well, what if you protested peacefully? Maybe we would listen then. No, motherfucker. He protested peacefully and you talk so much shit and made him out to be a fucking villain. I, I, I'm just, I'm still very, very angry over this and I'm going to remain angry over this. And I'm, I may need a few minutes to like recompose myself because you guys can tell that I'm really pissed off about this, but I'm just so sick of this happening. And the only other thing I'm going to share before we, Charles, I'll let you take away is I took this really awesome class when I was at Texas A&M, Central Texas. Let's not get, get it confused with Texas A&M proper. But I took this great class called Race and Ethnicity. And at the end of the course, my professor, who was a black woman, talked to us about her father. And back in 1967, I believe it was, I could be getting these dates wrong, but in 1967, he went to a dance when he was 10, 12 years old and danced with a white girl. After the dance, he was drugged behind a truck. He was beaten and not by just people of the community. It was by the police to the point where he was blinded. They didn't know if he would survive. He survived, but he was blinded. The man went on to move to New York. And you know those barbecue mops? Little sticks that look like mops that you put barbecue sauce on everything? The man created those. He was the inventor of the barbecue mop. And he worked until the late 80s building barbecue mops. And then he was hit by a drunk driver in New York while he was walking across the street. The driver drove off. The police officers found 
the driver not too long later, may, maybe an hour or so later, they found the driver. And when they asked him, why did you drive off? The man replied, it was just a nigger. Why would I stop? I have never been more heartbroken than when I heard that story. And that man got off. He got off killing a blind black man in New York in the late 80s. And the, I get really emotional talking about this because some of my family, I won't lie, going back into the day, I'm from Georgia. Some of my family was a little racist. And, and little racist is a, a stupid statement. They were racist. And we blew it off as it's an older generation. That's the way they were brought up. I have never, ever felt that way. But I get really emotional because a lot of us, a lot of my family did. And that's not okay. And so I almost feel this burden. And I don't know if you guys feel this at all, but this burden to make things right from what my family did before. Because I almost have this like, I have to go out and make things better to make make my name better. But more importantly, I need to make this country better by doing whatever I can, no matter what it takes to do it. So yeah. Charles, I'll, I'll hand it off to you from there. We, we should talk about family. And I would also add, so you mentioned that this guy was in New York and you're from Georgia. And I think we tend to think that matters. I'd love to talk about Yankee racism as somebody that grew up in you know, the, uh, the state that originated the Underground Railroad and stuff like that, and about how white people there, apparently, like, because we were part of the union, weren't racist. Like, I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> you know, that's a really good point, Stephen. Like, this, these benevolent white people that they, yes. they, because, you know, they're so wonderful and wise and powerful that they can, you know, bequeath these privileges to black people. Like, that's a real issue that that's that's a major problem. Don't move into my neighborhood and you'll be fine. Yeah. So I, I don't think my, my thoughts are super organized about this, but um, I think a lot of people are angry. A lot of people are upset. I think I was awakened by real anger. I don't know. Maybe I'd like to think that I would have been awakened by peaceful protests, but I think it took major rioting and fires all over our major cities for me to kind of wake up and realize that there is some real pain. And uh, while I don't support this destruction of property and things like that, I think, you know, sometimes you have to do things to, to draw attention to your, to your cause. So I think that was a good thing overall. After the anger and the passion goes away, long sustained action needs to be done. And, you know, when, even if we're just talking about like, you know, civil rights and things like that, I have not, fulfilled my duty. I haven't fulfilled my duty in a lot of respects when it comes to my local community. And, uh, you know, I'm pledging to do better and to, to have more prolonged, sustained action against issues of injustice. So, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm starting to make a running list. It's far from done. But, uh, you know, I feel like uh, community-based oversight committees over police is, is really important. Uh, I think communities that have those have better success rates. Hiring practices. I, I don't know if you guys saw the protests in Houston. They were amazing. They were huge. They were nonviolent. And I don't think they were ever worried for a second about violence. And I think one of the major contributing factors to that was the fact that their, their police force represented the community. Those were people that were hired from the community, all walks of life, different ethnicities and things like that, representation representing their community. So why would they take action? negative action against like their neighbors and their brothers and their sisters and things like that. So I think that's kind of a crucial thing that maybe we should look at. Um, maybe I'm going to sound a little extreme here, but 
I think we should do a truth and yeah, reconciliation. Do you want reparations, like the payments? No, well, sort of. Uh, so truth and reconciliation, a truth and reconciliation committee to kind of look at like what effect we had, uh, what, what, what effects, you know, living on stolen land and so much wealth built by slaves, you know, what are we going to do with that? And, and maybe that's reparations. I don't know if it is. Maybe it's other actions, but I think that's something that we should look at. I don't think we can move on unless we like look at the original sins of our nation and, and address those and try to move on past them. You know, there are a lot of laws put in place for federal oversight of police departments. They're sitting collecting dust now. Those should be reenacted. If a, if a police department is having issues, I think other people should come in and have a look from the outside. So you think like a federal oversight board? I I, I, I need to do more research in this. And this is kind of, you know, where it gets messy. I'm just saying something I don't really completely understand. But there are, there have been some laws passed where if a police mm-hmm. department is having issues, the, the investigations into Ferguson were because of laws that were passed that allowed the federal government to come in and look and have an outside look at what was going on. Right. So I think we need to reenact those things. Those things are on the books right now. They should be enforced, you know, but the executive gets to choose what they enforce, what they don't. I think a lot of the stuff that's going on with voting is really bad and antiquated, restricting people's ability to vote, gerrymandering, things like that. It doesn't seem like that's a race issue, but I guarantee you it is. Um, Oh, gerrymandering is 100% a race issue, and we can discuss mm -hmm. that later. It's ridiculous. Um, Police officers are really poorly trained. I think the average police officer probably gets about six months of training. You know, when you think of other... Yeah, most professionals, you know, they get years and years of training. And you should have ongoing training. And I think we should demilitarize our police force. We should absolutely. We should train in de-escalation techniques and things like that. I mean, these are people who are supposed, that's supposed to be their forte. You know, it's not supposed to be about ego. It's not supposed to be about your ability to, what's the word that's been thrown around a lot right now? What is Trump been saying? Uh, he wants to dominate the dominate. streets. Yeah, dom- it's not about domination. You know, they're sub- servants of the public. They're, they're not, their job is not to dominate. Their job is to calm things down and to help. Uh, so, so those are some of the issues uh, that I think we should look at. I think there are a lot of resources out there to hold your, your local communities accountable. And then this is something that I was kind of tangentially uh, referring to, but I had, I had referred to, and I can't remember her name right now, Keith might know her name. There's this white speaker who uh, Killer Mike referenced that people should go out and watch because of like the way she deals with, with race and things like that, teaches people the right thing. And I think her stuff is really good, and I think I've learned from her, um, but she's white. And I had referred some people to her on social media, and I was kind of called out by somebody uh, that was black that, you know, you should be listening to black people about these issues. So I'm trying to work on that a little bit. Um, I've got a huge list here of books about race by black authors uh, that I'm going to try to uh, to read. Uh, Solitary by Albert Woodfox, White Rage, Citizen by Claudia Rankine, Stamped, which is a very provocative title, um, Stamped from the Beginning, and, and, and I got a whole slew of other ones by black authors that I think maybe will give me a little bit better perspective than just hearing a white person talk about it. So Charles, 
May, may yeah. I make a recommendation? And I, kn- I know I made this earlier. Um, You're going to do coats, right? Yeah. And the reason uh, why. Coats? Yeah. And, and here's the reason why. I don't do this lightly. I do it because when I was taking that class, the race and ethnicity class, I told my professor that I would just like to spend one day seeing the world through a black man's eyes. And she completely changed what we were learning for two weeks to assign that book. So maybe I could understand that book changed my perception on everything because for the first time, and I'm not saying in any way, shape or form, do I, have I seen the world through the eyes of a black man? But for the first time, I kind of had an idea. And that book is Between the World and Me. And that was a book that was that was written as a letter to his son about being a black man in America. And it's a quick read. I read it in, well, I, I was working at the school we both worked at and I read it in like four class periods. So <laughs> money well spent taxpayers. So uh, it, it's an incredible book. It's one that I recommend that any person who just kind of wants a glimpse into the world of a black man or woman read because it, it was a glimpse. It, it wasn't walking in the shoes of a black person. It wasn't seeing the world through their eyes, but it was a glimpse. And it was the closest thing I've ever found to finding that. And so I highly recommend anybody who listens, both of you guys read between the world and me by Todd Nahasi Colts. All right. And we'll put a, we'll put a book list on the, on the show notes. So last thing I just want to say is that like, uh, you know, I'm a teacher. I have literally hundreds, probably a thousand ex-students out there from all walks of life. And on social media, it's so easy right now just to repost something. It takes a split second to repost something without really knowing what it's saying or thinking deeply about what it's saying. So I've kind of made it my job to try to put out those little fires. So I'm trying to address things that come up and ask people, you know, how they feel about that. Are they thinking about the other people on the other side as humans? It's very exhausting. It might not do anything. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get blocked by some people, but I just feel like I need to address those things. And, you know, I prefer not to do it on social media, but I'm doing it there. If I need to have a face-to-face discussion or over-the-phone discussion with people, I'll do that too. I'm struggling a lot with just being an armchair quarterback, right? You know, I'm, I'm doing what I can on social media. I'm trying to stay informed, but eventually action will be required. And I don't know what that's going to look like for me. I know some of these long sustained actions are things that I'm going to, I'm going to do, but for the short term, I don't know how much I'm going to participate in things that are going on. I want to participate, but uh, yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. So I just want to say after listening to both of you talk, I probably jumped your asses a little harshly at the beginning. I apologize. So, I, no, I think that's good. I think pushback is required yeah. and, no. and it's important that we yeah. do that. So, and, and hearing where you're coming from, it does make sense. So yes, reading, doing research, things like that. That is, that is a very, I think that's a good avenue to go to gain some perspective and definitely engage with African-American members of your community and friends and family, but don't put the burden on them to necessarily educate and tell you what to do because it's because we have our own place that's but and so and don't make it an excuse of that you might fuck up or do something wrong to not say anything at all yes say it mess it up and learn you know that's the biggest thing come from an authentic place 
but know where you're coming from. And if you don't understand white privilege, do some research on that. It Acknowledging that white privilege exists and that you have it doesn't, it's not a negative thing that you didn't do anything wrong. And it doesn't mean that you have to apologize for anything. It's just accepting the state of our society today. And it'll give you a better perspective and an understanding of other people. So Charles, the things yeah. you were talking about totally resonate yeah. with me. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to tag, or I'm going to put a, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to name campaign zero, which okay. is a nonprofit organization that um, is, is a research based legal organization that has 10 solutions that they're advocating that municipalities, states, cities put into place for better to solve this problem with militarized police abuse of power. And they talk about everything, Charles, that you mentioned. Um, and it's an, it's an amazing just going to their website and reading their 10 different, like understanding what broken policing, broken windows uh, policing means and not end for profit policing. Like a lot of people won't do even realize that's a thing, but all of this is based on research from laws that are enacted in places in our country and around the world. So it's based on actual data that shows when this was put in place, here's the effect that it had. And they have a very, very, very well put together plan that we could call our Congress people tomorrow and advocate for. Um, they are a nonprofit, so you can donate to them, but you can also go there for information. So I would just definitely advocate for that. Yep. That's so a good point. I have, I have a couple, I wonder if we want to take this off the rails a little bit. I don't know what, what you it. guys have plans. Let's do it. Hey, before, before you go further, I just want to say like, there are a lot of good causes that you can donate to. So if you're not ready to act or you don't know how to act, give a little money to support a lot of good causes out there. So Charles, do you want to go to the, do you want to go to the, the protest on Friday? I do. I do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous about it. I, to I'm, I'm going tomorrow in Nashville. So before, before we do go off the rails a little bit, because I'm all for going off the rails, I do want to bring up what the NAACP is requesting and not requesting, demanding. And I think these four points are very reasonable. And their four points are a ban on the use of knee holds and choke holds as an acceptable practice for police officers. The use of force continuum for any police department in the country must ensure that there are at least six levels of steps with clear rules of escalation. Each state's Open Records Act must ensure officer misconduct information and disciplinary histories are not shielded from the public. Recertification credentials may be denied for police officers if determined that their use of deadly force was unwarranted by federal guidelines. And finally, an implementation of a citizen's review board in municipalities to hold police departments accountable and build public confidence. How difficult is that? Yeah, Those are some four good first steps step. that are super fucking simple. That would, How hard is it to enact that? It's okay, I'm not. I'm going to add one. What if what if all police the first two bullets in any of their clips had to be rubber bullets? Right. Oh, I think it's brilliant. So I mean, they could actually use their guns if they had to, and it would work, but it wouldn't necessarily. Of course, you can kill someone with a rubber bullet, which we're seeing. But right. Yeah. I mean, and and before we do go off the rails, I just want to talk about: Are we still in a democracy? Because what happened at the gates of the White House when Trump and, and let's. 
Trump did not use rubber bullets and tear gas to go make a photo op. He used the photo op as an excuse to use tear gas and rubber bullets and flashbangs on those absolutely peaceful protesters. Well, I think it's a little bit of both. So here's, I'll, I'll, this is this was my day. What was this, yesterday or the day before? I think this was day before. Yeah. So I made the mistake right before Lauren and I were about to go for a walk and go to the park. And I opened, picked up my phone, looked at it, and I saw, oh, look, Trump's on Twitter about to speak from the Rose Garden. He's been in his bunker for the past two days or whatever and getting made fun of. So I know he's going to do some stupid shit, right? I listened to that speech live, which was the worst decision I've made in, in, in the recent past. I was so upset and so depressed at what he was talking about. The fact that he said that they're sending thousands and thousands of military troops into the city to to dominate the streets. Like I was thinking, dude, based on what this guy is saying, this is going to be an absolute disaster and slaughter, right? Because obviously you don't do that if you want to deescalate the situation. Like people are pissed off, rightfully so. I would on it like people that weren't protesting before, if they saw that happening, should be now going out and they protesting. Are. They are. The thing that I forgot about all this is that the man, and Charles, I'm no longer a public school teacher, so I can say this openly, is so full of shit that I should have just reminded myself that everything he says is a lie. And that isn't diminishing what he did do, but his thousands and thousands of troops to descend on the streets and dominate was really just to clear out the people for his photo op. And it was all just absolute bullshit. What he was all for show, but the fact that he did it and the fact that he did use those smaller number of troops for that stupid ass point that he was trying to make. I do not understand why all of our libertarian friends, all of our conservative friends, everybody isn't pissed off about this. Like, it's ridiculous. So, Stephen, I agree so let with me you know, wholeheartedly. I, I, when we want to go off the rails, like I'm ready for to bring up my topic, which is kind of next. I don't know if you guys really want to talk about this. Well, I, I just think it's interesting that all the people who are like, well, I carry guns so I can make sure that's I carry it. Like, that's exactly what I want to talk about, Keith. All right. So well, let's so, go ahead and move into it then. So, so like, so, why did he do that? Why did he mention your Second Amendment rights? When he's supposed to be de-escalating, I think it, I, that was that was code. A, it could have been a little code. It could have also just been a little bit that he has freaking diarrhea of the mouth and was throwing like the same reason he went to a church. He's he's just like throwing out, hey, white people, religious people, people that like guns. I'm your dude. Like it could have been like code for go get your guns and shoot black people. I don't. If it was, it wasn't a very like like effective or smart way of doing it. I don't know. I just think he's just, I just think he's an idiot. And I think it was just diary of the mouth. And um, I think it was an example of him not being able to follow his teleprompter and just like adding random shit that usually gets him cheers at rallies. But, but Steven, remember when they start looting, he starts shooting. So my, my question is, and because again, I'm, you know, I live in Texas and I, I'll be honest, I have a lot of liberal points of views. I also have a lot of like conservative points of views, like not necessarily on the social side of things, but in a lot of ways, I mean, I'm, I don't have a problem with second amendment rights. Do I think there could be like reasonable gun laws? Yes. 
But at the same time, like I, that is, that is a fundamental right of Americans to bear arms. That doesn't mean you need a bazooka or a machine gun. Like, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an extremist or anything, but I do wonder what would happen if there were more second amendment protesters in these rallies that were armed. And if that would make a difference and the logical person in me knows that this would end up being an absolute shit show and black men with guns would be shot by the police. Like I hate, but like where are our second amendment protesters and the white allies that have been talking about the reason we need this second amendment is to defend against tyranny by the government. Like where are they right now? And then where would they be if the people that are protesting right now were armed? So I'm, I'm going to touch base on a couple of things. So first is one of those people went to a rally in Chicago. Uh, I'm not familiar with Chicago. Is Highland Park sound like a... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in Chicago. Okay. So a man showed up carrying an AK-47 and a pistol strapped to his leg and was pointing it at protesters. Well, no, 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 I'm not saying show up and hold be on, an asshole. Hold on, hold on. I'm saying I'm not, show I'm up not on done. With, I'm not done with the. I'm not done with the story. So the interesting thing about this this guy was good. that like this, hang on, you could not discern him. You could not discern him from like. Let, okay. let let me just finish the story. And so this guy goes, points his gun at protesters' faces, and instead of being arrested, instead of being taken in, he's asked to leave. No, no arrest, no nothing. He's just walked off, told to go home. And then three weeks ago in Minnesota, in Minnesota, no less, they went to the state Capitol, everybody armed to the teeth to protest stay at home orders. Mm-hmm. Where, where the fuck are those people now? Because if they were there, and let's be honest, most of those people, and I, I'm just trying to be real. Most of those people are conservatives who hate black people. But Keith, that's that really what it comes right. down no, to. No, I agree with you, but let me ask you this. That they didn't they didn't show a card saying I'm a conservative that hates black people and that's why they weren't arrested. They were they got away with it because they were white and they were armed. Yes. So what's what is stopping white people that like I could go buy a gun tomorrow morning and have it within 15 minutes and then right. I could I could take that to the ra- to the rally. Every part of me says that's a bad idea. Right. But is that maybe part of the solution? I don't know. Like, I think if black people did it, they would be treated differently than I would. Yes. But like, we're talking about using our white privilege to shield these people. Like that is something that we can do in terms of like, that's why we should be at these protests because if it's all black people, it's a little easier. And if it's, all black people and a bunch of young white people, there's an age aspect too, right? When they look at me or they look at Charles or they look at you, they might be thinking, uh, wait, that's former councilman Dyer. Like maybe I shouldn't hit him with my shield, right? When they see some little freaking kid with a neck tattoo, like they don't give a shit what color he is. You know what I mean? Like should, and, and I'm not saying we should do this. I'm asking like, should we be getting guns and going to these protests. Like, what effect do you think that would have? That, that's kind of scary to me, you know? It's, sc- it's scary to me too, but so, I'm legitimately so, curious because we've seen examples of the effect that has and the different response. Yeah. Like, we so, cannot lie that that, that that results in a very, very, very different response by the police. And maybe maybe that will happen somewhere. I'm not 
willing to step up and do that yet. What I'm intrigued by is, you know, we have the most powerful military in the world by far. 10 times better than probably anybody else, bigger than anybody else too. And one of the most powerful things about our military is they do not disobey their civilian leaders. Like you, you we don't have to worry about a coup in the US. But right now I'm kind of wondering, like they also know the law. They know the rules of engagement and things like that and protocols and things like that. Are they going to step up and say no? So some of these things, that's the thing that's really kind of got me intrigued right now. And, and a little bit it's happening right now. But I was kind of surprised that everybody just did what Trump said for the for the Rose Garden speech. I know there was one, I think, Arlington police force or something the chief pulled out and said he wasn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. But I, I expected a lot more. The arming yourself just scares me because we all have guns. We have more guns than anybody else in the world. But we also are not trained. We don't have we don't have tactics. You're, you're not we don't have, I'm, and I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm just no. wondering if like I'm I'm legitimately I'm curious, curious what difference that would make. Charles, going to your point, I think you're right. I think my gut tells me that they are pushing back. So I think like I imagine, and again, and I have nothing to go by other than my imagination, what I see is that like Trump goes into these rooms with these people and he's like, we're going to dominate the streets and we're going to call in the military and like starts with this huge grand idea of like basically Emperor Trump. And then all of these people that are just in the back of their head thinking, oh my God, this is such a freaking disaster. Like, what are we going to do? They basically get him to the point where they realize that he all he really cares about is having his little moment. So they just let him have his little moment. So like bringing in all the troops, for example, the fact that he's able to tweet out that there's 1500 members of the 82nd Airborne ready to go and fully armed, the fact like that's all he really wants. You know what I mean? And like the number of steps that it takes to actually get those troops into a position where they're doing something requires all of these different people that I think he's not capable of like making happen. I, that's just, yeah. that's, that's, that's my hope. That's my optimism. And it's a very cynical optimism because it's relies on his, uh, you know, inability to really understand the situation and how things actually work. And, it, but I, but I think that there's people in the way of letting him well, actually get what he absolutely. wants and they give, they and, give him little bits that make him happy. And he's so dumb. And that's all he really cares about is his narcissism. And that's good enough. And he found a little loophole because DC is not a state. Right. Exactly. So he didn't have, he didn't have to ask the governor's permission to deploy right. forces there, but which is perfect. Because the, he what, can continue to yeah. blame the governors. Like if yeah. he actually got what he wanted, he'd have to deal with the consequences, but this way he gets to just continue to blame the governors. Right. So he's a little man screaming from so the hilltops. Impressive. It is. Who's who's going to run for office? Like Keith, out of like you actually ran for office. Ultimately, yes. I think that man, people got to run for office. Like we need a re because I I've been wondering where is Congress right now, and it turns out they're freaking meeting and having Rosenstein like hearings. Like what are what is where are they during all this? They, why they are, why is there no legislation being proposed that would actually like make people stop the senate just announced an investigation into joe biden right it's ridiculous (laughs) and 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 i feel like some of the republican values really should come to to full force here if this doesn't do local control but you see them tuck their tails they can't they won't answer questions they'll put their heads up and say i don't know and i mean how sad is it that george w w 
has come out and spoke against Trump's antics towards protesters and none of the other Republicans will. I mean, we're talking about W. Like this guy who we disagreed with, I'm going to say 98% of his policies who put us in a war that we shouldn't have been in. Like I miss that guy right now. Yeah, but even he did it in kind of a coded way. Like he didn't flat out. You have to put it in black and white terms today because people will spin shit. Like he didn't say Trump is causing problems. He said we need to unify leadership. If you don't want to hear what you don't want to hear, you're not going to hear it. Right. Mattis came out today and said, like, God bless that guy. But where was he like right after he left? You know what I mean? Right. Like, well, and, and this is the problem with the party system, you know, when loyalty over party mm-hmm. comes first, you know, like I thought they're supposed to be watching out for all Americans, no. you know, you know, like the, the party system is, is jacked up. I, I feel this pretty strongly that loyalty to party over loyalty of country is a major issue. Well, Reagan said, wasn't that Reagan's thing? What did he say? Party? I don't know. He had he had a saying about um, the fact that right, and that's what I was saying. That's the only way you can win. For forty years ago, forty five years ago, it wasn't about party. The parties had, and I can like I I wasn't there, but I can base it off of what I'm skeptical of that. But but my great grandfather was a senator, Mm -hmm. and I can base it all off of you know that and family that grew up in that time. And it's always the same thing. We had fundamental differences on policy, but there was never a fucking question whether they were trying to do the right thing for America. But Keith, that you're talking the same time when this is the civil rights movement. This is like people fighting against integrating schools. Like I know everybody today, Donald Trump thinks he's doing the right thing for America or at least the right thing for Donald Trump and the America he cares about. What I think has changed is the American people. And we have adopted this cult of personality. There was a day in my lifetime, and we're not that freaking old, where if you were a politician and you got caught sleeping with somebody or you had a scandal, your career was over. Today, it doesn't fucking matter. It's like... All I care about is whether you have a D or an R after your name and the two choices on my ballot and nine times out of the 10, depending what state you live in, you don't even get a choice. There's literally like running unopposed, like in, in primaries and things like that. It doesn't matter what you do. It's in, and if, and all you care about, if you're a politician, then is either you're like trying to change things which you'll wash out pretty quick because I imagine that system's pretty toxic for you or keeping that R or keeping that D behind your name because that's how you get elected. And what do you, if that's all you care about, you tow the party line and you don't talk against the party leader and you vote for the shit the party says to vote for. And that's where we are today. It's on, a, it's on the voter and it's, on, it's we're not holding people accountable. Are we given good choices? No, but we could still do something about that. Like, you know, we could change the system. It doesn't have to be, you know, majority rules, you know, mm-hmm. it could be a percentage system, things like that. There's a lot of things we could do. This problem is is deep and long and old. So my mom gave me a Time magazine that's from the year of my birth, right? And I'm looking in it and it's talking about Jimmy Carter, you know, 
And it talks about like how he won the black vote and that's what got him in office and things like that. And then you see after he's in office, the things that he promised, he just flat out ignored. Mm -hmm. You know, once he was in power, he got what he wanted. He got their votes. You know, screw you now. You know, I think that's kind of the problem. Sometimes people say anything to get in office and then. But but Charles, I wonder, and, and does it, this is going back to like, I'm from Georgia I have seen Jimmy Carter do amazing things outside of office. Like that man still shows up to build houses in his 90s for Habitat for Humanity. And so I wonder how much, and please understand, I am not defending Jimmy Carter when he was a president, but I wonder how much the system fought against him while he was president. That, that might be true. But also, like, I don't think you should fall in love with the personalities of these people. It's really about what they do. Are they going to do what they say they're going to do? It's not about like, like Trump could be a bumbling idiot, just a total moron. But if he could be, I mean, I'm saying what I'm trying to say is anybody, <laughs> President X, you know, but if, if they make promises, they should keep those promises. They should be looking out for everybody, you know, and I just... Once you're elected, the accountability goes away, you know, and now he's revving things up, but it's only to get reelected and it's only to certain people. So there's you, a problem. Do there. you think the current climate in America leads towards a Trump reelection? Because I don't think it does. Dude, there's no telling. If, if, he, if he does, I don't, I mean, it's after this, I have no faith. I've, my wife and I have already talked about it. Our whole family's getting their passports just in case like we have to bail. And I'm not saying I'm giving up on America. I'm saying like, if he wins election after this, what the hell is he going to be emboldened to do next? You know what I mean? And I'm not like a doom and gloom person, not a conspiracy theorist. Like I'm a pragmatist. And if he gets elected after this, I, I don't know. It like to me, to me, I, my, my optimism says and my faith in the American people that if he wins it, there must've been some cheating. And if that's the case, I don't know what we can do. You know what I mean? Like that it's just over because like once our elections are no longer fair and valid and they're arguably not fair and valid now, right. With gerrymandering and stuff like that. But at least those are like legal ways of cheating. Like I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can't where? imagine it, but I didn't think he would win in the first place. Right. I, like I had too much optimism in my in faith in my fellow people then steven i have a question for you no idea i have no idea no, I, I think you do on this one particular question no, I you're gonna you ask me where i would go and i have no idea uh, i was gonna say where in canada are we going because right? i'm go right there with you <laughs> i like canada but it's freaking cold i don't know if i go to canada no no i i i think i've narrowed this down we head to vancouver keith do you want to live above a meth lab because that's what it would feel like being in Canada right now. No, no. It, Vancouver is a, it's technically a rainforest. It never gets below 40. Keith, you know something about Vancouver? Like 99% of the bats carry rabies and there's lots of bats. <laughs> that's a very little known fact about Vancouver. <laughs> so if you want to get rabies, which is 100% lethal for humans if you get it and don't get treated, and you know, go to Vancouver. Hey, but you know what's great about Canada, Stephen? Universal health care. If I get I'm, bit by a bat, Keith, I, no I could go get treated. I love Canada. <laughs> I just don't know if Canada would be my place to go. I don't know. So, you know, we're going through a lot of problems right now. We have a and lot I'm of not ready to, to give up. So let me just put that out. Yeah. I am but, but, not saying we Canada, give up on America. Canada's prosperity is based on us. It's based on us. Look at how we're being a leader. 
around the world. Like, look at Europe. They're doing Black Lives Matters protests in all the countries in Europe. Like, why is New Paris Zealand, burning, burning a bunch of mopeds in the street? Did you guys see that yeah. today? Like, this we're we're a leader. We still have a voice. Like, we can take control of this. We we are a great nation. We yes. have some some shit to work out. And let's Go just ahead. be clear. I'm not getting my passport because I don't love America. Yeah. I'm not yeah. leaving until we have some, like... Um, uh, handmaid's tale type shit going on you know what oh, i mean man. we're almost that, there that's when i'm leaving but i'm just i want to have my passport i don't want to be that dude that's like sorry you can't leave you have to marry this other woman because you don't have a passport <laughs> all right guys so we've had a lot of discussion over race and ethnicity and where we're going to move when the world comes to an end in the United States. And so what I'm going to ask everybody now is our final thoughts on systematic racism and what is white people we can do to benefit the black community. And what is Charles, white people? What is yeah. white people we what can is, do? to? Benefit? What is white people? <laughs> what is white people? Um, I don't Charles, know. go ahead. Talk to people, have conversations. Don't claim to have all the truth, but definitely have a point of view. Have a sense of righteousness. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and little fires. Put out little fires here and there. Conversations, one-on-one with people. I think screaming out to the void on social media only goes so far. Talk to people. All right, Stephen. What do you think? I would say, oh, man. Um, stop being afraid of talking about race and racism. You don't have to feel guilty for having white privilege or being white. Acknowledge your white culture, all the good and the bad. What we've been doing for the past 200 years hasn't fucking worked. So if you actually care, do something different than you've done before. And at the end of the day, don't just not be racist, be anti-racist. Whatever that means to you, but it shouldn't be the same thing you did yesterday because it didn't work. And what your parents did didn't work either. Well said. Charles, I know you said just shouting into social media means nothing. I didn't say that. I said it only goes so far. Right. Right. But what I'm going to say is be vocal. Don't be quiet. Don't let somebody who is racist get away with being fucking racist. Even if they don't think they're being racist, call them out on that shit. And I I mentioned it earlier. I talked to my buddy Marshall earlier this week and that, that was his thing. Don't let people get away with being racist. Don't be quiet and put it out there. Don't be afraid to put it out there. And I'm just going to say, like, I, I put this on social media earlier, say their name, say everybody who has been killed by police brutality, who is a black man or woman say their name because then and this is a point i don't think people realize when you say their name it becomes real it doesn't become letters that are coming across your facebook page or twitter feed or whatever it becomes real eric garner john crawford the third michael brown easel ford dante parker michelle cousseau laquan mcdonald george mann it just goes on and on and that's the sad thing say their name make it real and then you will realize the real problem in the systematic racism that is lingering in our community right now and i've tried to remain pretty calm through this conversation but i am so fucking angry 
over this that all I want to do is scream at the top of my lungs all the time. And so we'll go ahead and wrap up this segment before I do scream Keith, at the top of my lungs. Before you wrap up, yeah, you know, out, outrage has its place and you should be angry. But then after that is over, you need to do the work. You need to be vigilant. You need to hold your gov- local governments accountable. You have to do the work because we didn't get in this position because we were doing the work. We were, we, we, we were lax in our jobs and we can't allow that to happen again. Right. I completely agree with you, Charles. And so I think before we move on from the segment, I think the one thing, it obviously we all agree that racist are awful people. Racism is the core of where we are today and we need to do away with it. And us three, I think we will all state that we're going to do whatever we can to end the systematic racism, no matter what outlet we have to do it. Are we all agreed with that? We're going to do whatever we can to help end systematic racism. I mean, as long as it's not like a convenience to me or my life. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Because, yes, so far we've assumed it's going to go away on its own. We have to do something that we haven't done before. Yeah. So, all right. So to all of our black friends, family, colleagues, anybody that we know who is a person of color, you have our undying support. We stand next to you and we will do whatever it takes to help end systematic racism in this country. But let's be honest. The yeah. people that are actually listening to us are probably white males. All white. So, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Yeah. Like, that's probably who's listening. Dudes, freaking but let's, do some shit. Yeah. Also, let's expand that. Black, brown, any marginalized group. Yes. Gay, you know. Women. You know, women. That's right. Any group that's marginalized and has not had a voice before or is not getting their fair share. We got to make sure we stand up for those people. Yes. yes. Someone else gaining rights. Yeah. It's not a zero sum game. If another group gains rights, that does not mean you lose some of yours. It's there is enough. There's enough freedom to go around for everybody. Absolutely. Amen. All right, guys. So let, let's go ahead and move into our music segment of the week. And I know mine was inspired by what we've talked about this week and what has happened over the past week and a half. Does I, I don't mind going first this week. I've never went first, but go first, Keith. Are you guys sure? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, I'm gonna go with somebody that I've mentioned on the podcast before. And I'm gonna go with Run the Jewels. And there there's a few different reasons why I'm going with Run the Jewels. First and foremost, I love Run the Jewels. Killer Mike and LP, in my opinion, are the best rap group on the planet right now and have been for years. Like their their beats are solid. These guys are incredible. Two, Killer Mike, being from Atlanta, stepped up to the mic this week in a press conference and delivered one of the most beautiful speeches as far as race and what is happening right now I have ever seen. It brought me to tears. And I'm pretty sure I, I shared it. Did you guys get to see that? Yeah, I saw it before you shared it, Keith. I'm a hipster. Uh, well done, Charles. <laughs> but it, it was incredible. I mean, would you guys agree? Like, if it didn't shake you in some way, then you were dead inside. But the third reason, bringing up Run the Jewels, is their fourth album that was due out on Friday, they released early. And more importantly, they released it for free. 
and Kill a Mike and LP came out and made a statement that said, we don't know what else to do, but this is something that we can do by giving this album for free. We can put some kind of positivity into the world. Hey, and Steven. I think that's beautiful. Hey, Steven, should I tell Keith that all their albums have been free? Should I tell him about that? I don't know. I mean, I only if you want to. <laughs> yeah. So I, and RTJ4, I've only got to listen to it today. I've heard a couple songs off of it. It's absolutely fantastic. I've actually heard the whole album. I've only listened to a couple of songs over and over again. Um, but RTJ3 is where I'm going to pull my music from. And like the song Don't Get Captured, it just feels like something that should be played today. I mean, the entire song is about don't get captured through either gentrification or by the police department. Like the video for it is absolutely amazing. I just, I love that song. I put this in our protest music, but 2100 is an absolutely phenomenal song. And then on the uh, RTJ4, just to kind of bring a little bit of like fun into these songs, I'm going to go with Ooh La La. It's a really fun song. Like I've been jamming to it quite a bit over the past couple weeks because it was the first track they released from this album. Absolutely phenomenal. So that's, that's going to be my music for the week. I highly recommend them. They've always been social justice warriors. They've always fought for people who were marginalized, whether they, it didn't matter what color they were. The first time I saw them perform killer Mike held out his jacket and it had a rainbow flag inside of it. And LP opened up his jacket and it said black lives matter on it. I mean, these guys are at the forefront of protest music. These guys have always been at the forefront of social change and inclusivity and trying to make everybody feel welcome. And if you ever get a chance to watch and both of you guys, I would highly recommend this because their dialogue in between songs, they did an Austin city limit show. I tried to get tickets for it, but their ACL show was phenomenal. And they talked about people who were feeling, you know, on the outside and didn't feel like they were part of the community, how they could hold up that 30 inch chain in their hand and know that they were part of the RTJ community that accepted everybody as who they are. While there are some great, great rap outfits out there and rap artists, I don't think anybody, and don't get me wrong, that like, Kendrick Lamar hits the nail on the head for the black community. J. Cole hits the nail on the head for the black community. RTJ hits the nail on the head for everybody. And I think that's why I really love them. You never feel like an outsider listening in when you're listening to Run the Jewels. And so that's my artist for the week. Nice. So, Stephen, why don't you give us yours? God damn it. I have to go after Keith. You always do so much research. And you always have so much to say. And I'm always like, hey, there's this cool band and I kind of like them. Um, That's fine. Which is kind of yeah, where I'm going. Yeah. All right. So I, I had a band that I was going to talk about last week and I changed it because of Charles, which I don't even think that episode's out yet. So no one knows that. Um, but <laughs> I, I kind of I switched again. So and I don't really have a good reason why. So I've been listening to the Felice Brothers, which <laughs> I know. I know oh, they are so good. The Who'd song. You say? The Felice Brothers. Okay. It's that Triumph 70, 
Triumph 73. Is that what it is? 73, 74? Yeah, remember. Triumph 73. Yeah, Triumph 73. Um, which I used to play that song all the time. Like I added it to like all of our former playlists and stuff. It's just a it's just a cool freaking song. It's got a very like it reminds me of a less like Springsteen when he's not trying real hard. Like imagine like Born to Run with but like just like I'm, and I love that song. So like Born to Run is one of my favorite songs ever. So I'm not criticizing it. But it's like it, it's 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 Born to Run, but not trying quite as hard. And it's more of like a folky version of that. But it's basically the same idea of a song. Um, Steven, before yes. Triumph '73, when I left Texas mm-hmm. to move to Tennessee, that was the first song I listened to as I was pulling out of the driveway. It's such a good song. It's so good. And like I mean. It, like thinking about a girl too, like, cause it can be like a breakup song, but it can also not necessarily be a breakup song. Cause it's not real clear. It's just a really good song. Um, but I've been listening to them a lot. And I think the reason why I'm kind of talking about them now is, and this is also something that I like about them is they've been reminding me a lot about Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan, I think is absolutely amazing, but you listen to Bob Dylan and I have to listen to probably 20 Bob Dylan songs before I hit like an absolute freaking diamond that's buried in all of this other folk music. Right. And that's the Felice brothers kind of remind me of that a lot. Like they're, they're definitely like a folk band. They're good. They know what they're doing. I, I like most of their music, but man, every once in a while when you're just listening to them, it's like, dude, this song just gets it. And it's amazing. And it's the same kind of thing with Dylan. And whenever I go back in time and try to listen to artists that I liked in the past. So like, like when I was listening to the Felice brothers the other night for, you know, like a good hour, two hours straight, I was thinking, why, why don't I just listen to Bob Dylan? And, but I'm usually never satisfied when I do that. Right. Like when I go back in time and listen to artists I used to like, I, I, for whatever reason, it's like, I remember this being better or, you know, maybe it's the newness to it. I don't know what it is. It's probably just my personality. I I like to discover new stuff rather than rediscover old stuff. Um, So it kind of connected me back to a lot of that music, which to me, like that folky, like, I don't know, the music is just real and it's very lyrically driven. And it's storytelling, and that's kind of what we need is more clear, concise language and messages in our our you know our society today. And so the Felice brothers have been really been resonating with me. So that's that's my that's that's my recommendation. So Stephen, before you got onto the call tonight, me and Charles were actually we had a brief conversation about my cousin and how she told me. She, she listens to a lot of older music like I do. Mm-hmm. And she said today, the song Hurricane by Bob yeah. Dylan was resonating with her. Yeah, absolutely. And it just, I was like, wow, I didn't that, even that think same about that happens. song. Yeah. yeah. And she absolutely. goes, isn't it sad that that song is just as pertinent today as it was back in 1965? It will probably always be resonant. You know, like this stuff, the, the fight goes on always. You can't rest. Right. So. All right, Charles. Yeah, but just being black, we should be able to get past that. Yeah, when, you're right. When there's black people in power in equal numbers as white people. I mean, I hate to say it, but that's, yeah, that's true. a step in the right direction. But you have that's to right. be vigilant. Like, when we get there, yeah. we can't just rest. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Charles. So what have you been listening to this week? Okay. So mine is, is mostly a playlist. So you guys know I like electronic music a lot you know i talked about the op1 before uh so i got turned on to this artist after listening 
to or watching a earworm earworm video. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those. Sure. They, they're really cool with the way they break down songs and, and, and talk about what people did and things like that. So the title of this video, we'll put it in the show notes, is called How Jay Dilla Humanized His MPC-3000. So the MP-3000, it stands for MIDI Production Center. And what this was, was this was uh, one of the first fully accessible um, sampling systems. So you guys are all familiar with like electronic systems that have like the 4x4 grid. So... This was the first one where you could load in your own sounds for each button, right? You know, people like Dr. Dre and Q-Tip use, use this thing. And it also had this technology called quanti- quantization, which what it would do is if you were just like maybe a half step ahead or half step behind, it would just lock things in so that like things were on point, right? So what's kind of cool about Jay Dilla is he, he just turned all that shit off and very hard to kind of replicate uh, his his sound sounds really good, but he was not really that computer perfect sound kind of things. I think somebody referred to him as like a drunk three year old. Just really cool sounds, but not on t- in time. You know, uh, the way I kind of think of it is like kind of like jazz music for like hi fi production. So I would recommend you check out his stuff. Um, but what really I've been enjoying a lot is there's a playlist on Spotify, and I just learned today that this guy died really young. He died of lupus at like 32 years old. I thought he was still alive. I thought he was still doing stuff. But um, he has this 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 playlist, or somebody had made this playlist. It's called Cheat Sheet J. Dilla. And this is like all of his samples. So like where did he pull his music from and things like that? And it's just, it's deep and long and beautiful. It's 28 hours and six minutes. So you want to hear some really interesting sounds and things that are outside your normal, you know, um, off your radar. This is definitely a thing to check out. So I really so like it a lot. Add, and we're going to add that to our entertainment section because we cannot add 28 hours to our new okay. playlist. <laughs> so you're right. You're right. So what we, if we'll probably pull some songs from his last album called Donuts. So um, really cool. Kind of a genius. Not really, he doesn't get a lot of credit for stuff. I mean, he's done stuff for Tribe Called Quest. He's done stuff with Dre. Farside, somewhere. Farside. Yeah. yeah, like, and he used to work with, like, a production group. So he went under the name of the production group. So people, his name really didn't hit the radar at all. But um, he's, he's, it's really cool stuff. And, uh, yeah, I think this is the first time I've referred to any black artist or, or rap artist, even though he's a producer. And I'm not just doing that because of our topics today. It's just kind of coincidence. So I'm not pandering. So Well, wait a minute, Charles. I'm remembering back to I'm just a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. I guess in a way that is, yeah. Except for that's, that guy's Asian. But. So, and I do want to add, if we can, and again, Stephen is in charge of our playlist. There is one song that is... I, I just want to add on to the playlist for this week, and it's due to the time. Wait, you can't of the just year. you can't just add songs randomly, Keith. You're abusing your power. Maybe I am, but this song is so pertinent to the time of year, and it's not pertinent to a movement or anything else. It's just the time of year, and it's fishing in the dark. By Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Dude, I'm not adding Nitty Gritty Dirt Band to the pl- really. Everybody's <laughs> heard that song, Keith. But Stephen, I was. What sitting does that there. have to do with anything? So let me let me <laughs> explain. 
last night I was sitting out on the back deck and there was a lazy yellow moon coming up through the trees. Crickets were singing and lightning bugs were floating on the breeze. Every girl, Keith, every you're, you're, you, you hit one of my triggers. Every girl I've ever dated <laughs> that was like, Stephen, you would love country music. Let's listen to Fishing in the Dark. And dude, it's so annoying. And now I can hear it in my head and I but won't Stephen, go away. Stephen, have you ever been in the Southeast in Keith, early June, when that that song makes actually of? makes sense, but there's so many that song, that song makes so much <sighs> sense on June second. I'm gonna put it in between your Run the Jewel songs. <laughs> so Keith did mention that we have playlists. We are starting a new playlist for episodes 11 through 20 because this is episode 11 right am i counting right right that is correct this is so episode 11. our previous playlist is the songs from the first 10 episodes it's pretty good length i hate a playlist that's 28 hours long nothing against charles but like you know how do you know when to go back to you never get to the songs at the end or you're always at shuffle you lose things so um, <laughs> and since this is my little bit of control in the podcast i get to do what i want and so this is a new playlist for songs, episodes 11 through 20. And you can find links to these on our website and wherever you're clicking on this podcast to download. All right, guys. So that brings us to the end of our podcast and our last segment, which is what have you drank tonight? And Charles, we'll go ahead and start with you. What have you been drinking tonight? So I have this hoppy little lager called Sam 76 delicious i've drank a, cu- a couple of those or four so <laughs> is that it is that all you yeah. drink through the podcast yeah impressive steven what have you been drinking through the podcast i have the uh the sour beer that i had at the beginning which actually was really good and then i opened up a ipa from true vine brewing company which is in tyler texas it's called the rose city ipa I hate, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I would not recommend this beer. It wasn't very good. Mm. And ironically, now I'm drinking a Miller Lite. <laughs> All right. Sometimes so a Miller Lite is delicious. Like it, you have to sometimes. admit, sometimes just a regular old Pilsner beer tastes good. So I started with the Pangea Proxima, which was delicious. I've also had a Five Points IPA from Black Abbey here in Nashville. I've had outside of Nashville, I had a Dell's Pale Ale, which is always a solid beer. And then what I've had previously on the podcast, Details to Follow IPA from Jackalope. So three out of four local beers. Can't complain about that. I like it. Charles, All right, guys. I don't, what, so, I don't know what to add to the playlist for your, your stuff. We can do yeah, this. I'll, I'll pick, the, yeah, yeah, okay. I'll pick some. I, I, please, be, otherwise it's going to end with fucking nitty gritty dirt bands, which I really <laughs> don't want to do. Right, and we still need to we still need to decide our songs from the previous podcast to put on the last playlist because we haven't done that yet. This is getting complicated. All right, guys. All right, guys. So that is going to wrap us up for this evening. We hope that in some way we have been enlightening to you and maybe made you rethink some of your opinions on race and ethnicity in the country and systematic racism. Stephen, why don't you head us out with your tagline for the week? I'm going to start with, and actually this works out really good because after hearing you say that one of the reasons we started this podcast during this coronavirus time was as a log for us 
to keep track of this like unprecedented thing. And like, we can go back and listen to it in the future. Like, I hope that we go back and listen to this and we're like, man, we were all freaking stupid. Cause now racism doesn't matter. I don't know, whatever. But, um, I think we're just probably going to think we're stupid regardless. <laughs> Cause like <laughs> listen to these opinionated assholes that don't know shit. Um, but anyway, on that note, uh, going back to stealing from the song lyrics of the bands I picked, Felice Brothers, I couldn't really think of anything that came to mind necessarily, but I will go with Dylan, who I linked him to, and the times they are a-changing. That's nice. Nice. All right, Charles. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. And that's from MLK Jr. Nice. I love it. And as always... From Keith F. Dyer, if you change your community, you change the world. Cheers. Peace out. Cheers, Keith. Charles. Thank you again for listening to a very special edition of Bearded Bros Podcast. We hope that tonight's conversation may inspire you to get active, to listen, and become aware of the social injustice and racial inequality across our country. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to talking to you again. Cheers.